0: Lord, we come before you and we ask that you just guide and lead and just bring your spirit into this time as we look at your word. We pray for any that aren't here and you know why they're not and what's going on. And we pray for the health of different individuals that are in the hospital and that you know those. And we just thank you for this day and and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Now in the twenty-fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all the strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. And they stood there in their place and read in the book of the law and the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So I'm going to stop there just for a moment because here we are going forward in this uh, story. They had just, uh, st- the previous chapter, we had talked about them worshiping God, uh, finding the book of the law, and coming up and saying that they wanted to know more about God. They stood all morning and listened to the Scriptures being read, and then Ezra and other teachers got up on a pulpit and spoke to them. They found out that they were supposed to be celebrating the the feast of tabernacles, and then they just they followed that. And now here we are a little later, and it says that the children of Israel were were assembled with fasting and sackcloth. So they they've passed the celebration point and they're in their repentance point. And it says in here very interesting that number one they separated themselves from the strangers. They they were, and this is something we've dealt with before, that they were to separate from their foreign wives, and they had mixed marriages, and, and God was telling, you know, sharing with them, no, don't do that, and and they've led this, and they were distraught over that, and they said, get rid of those, str- <laughs> get rid of those women, because they knew what ended up happening in the past, uh, when Balaam got the, got them to sin by sin, you know, telling the king to send in send in the women and, and they would lead them into idolatry and, and all of that. And, and so there's this constant desire to say don't follow this. Do not be unequally yoked. Do not get entangled with people who are going to drag you down. So they've separated themselves. They've, they've read God's Word is doing its doing its thing. They, they're, they're confessing their sins their, and their iniquities, and it says they stood and they read the book of the law of their God for one-fourth part of the day. The day for the Jews is 12 hours, and that means for three hours they listened to the book of the law being read, standing, standing there for that. And then it says, that for, the, for another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped God. So they listened to God's Word for three hours, and then they sat there and they confessed their sins and worshipped God for three hours. And I don't know how many people would sit still for a six-hour church service, but that's what they basically have done, a six-hour church service. And in many parts of the world, that happens still today. In America, we tend to get bored after a while and nobody people don't seem to want those long long services where we worship God and you just are hungry for God. We have so much of his word and so much so much that we can do that oftentimes we see that we don't do it. And we're going to see in their prayer that they talk about just that attitude of Israel. And this is a good time for Israel. The people are seeking God. They're coming back to God in a very strong way. And after six hours, in verse 4, it says, Then stood up upon the the stairs of the Levites Joshua, and Benai, and Kadmiel, and Shevathniah, and Buni, and Sherebiah, and Benai, and Shiniah, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Yeshua, and Kadmiel, Eight people. Okay, and Benai and Hashabniah, and Sherebiah, and Hadajah, and Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, (laughs) all these names, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessings and praise." We're going to be starting here. This is a prayer that they're making and it's also a history lesson of the Jews. Okay, and we see this quite often when they start praying, they'll give the history of who God is. And they're the big reminder. So they, they're saying, bless, stand up, bless the Lord your God forever and ever, Bless his glorious name. And again, we bring up, as, as we always do, name is not just his literal written name. It is every bit of his reputation and who he is. And it says glorious. It, his name is just glorious. It's above all others, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So they're really starting a, quite a title with God. They're giving it. Verse 6, You, even you, are Lord alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, all their host, the earth and all things therein, the seas and all that that is therein, and you preserved them all, and the host of heaven worships you. So they start all the way back to the very beginning of time. God, you created. And it's interesting, it says you created heaven, which is the expanse, and then it says the heaven of heavens, which was his, his spiritual heaven, all of their host, everything that exists in there, and the earth and all the things that are in, the sea and all that is therein, and you preserve them all. So they're going back to the very beginning of scriptures that God created everything. And this kind of seems strange to us, because we're not used to polytheism, and I keep bringing this up. For polytheism, they had a God of the forest, a God of the river, a God of the streams, a God of the fields, a God of the mountains, a God of the valley, a God of the sky. <laughs> so, in this particular thing, they're coming and saying, our God is the God of everything. There's no other God out there, there's no, no worship of anything else. And it says, and the host of heaven worship you. And so he's saying, you know, the heaven, the the spiritual place, they all worship you. You are the Lord, the God who did choose Abram and brought him forth out of the Ur of Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham. All right, so they're going back through their history. And we're gonna see a history, this is a long history, a long prayer and a long history of Israel. And it says, you chose Adam. Uh, Abraham rather, Abram, and made him the name Abraham, and that is what happened. And and found in his heart faithful before you, and made a covenant with him to give him, to give the land of the Chaldeans, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and have performed your words, for you are righteous. So basically he was given that whole area that the Canaanites and all those people lived in, and he said and then they go and you did it <laughs> okay and that's your that's the promise it was eventually fulfilled and we're seeing that in the book of numbers we're seeing that they rejected it and by the end of De- Deuteronomy we'll see that they finally dis- are ready to go in the land and in the book of Joshua they actually take the land and but God is the one who gave gives it to them so we see this whole long list of the inhabitants of that land, and it's one that is very familiar to everybody who reads the Old Testament and and reads the Pentateuch and Joshua. You see these names in this list always. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. So you get used to saying those ones. And you did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry by the Red Sea. So we see they're going back through the slavery time and the affliction that, that Egypt put them through. And then the, the problem of the Red Sea where they were backed up against the Red Sea with the Egyptians coming down on them. And you showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and on all his servants and all the people of his lands for you knew that they dealt proudly against, against them. So did you get you a name as it is this day. And this is something that we're going to see a lot more of you as you read those the Pentateuch and Joshua especially they remembered what God did to Egypt and they keep bringing it up. We know your God has delivered you. We know your God has brought you out of these things. We know that you're that you've been protected and we saw that in, as we were studying in uh, Numbers, that you know, the people said, well, you know, we look terrible to them, but we, if they knew how the people saw them, they would have known that they were terrified by them. They, they had watched Egypt fall, and we've got to remember, in our day, we don't think much of Egypt. It's not a great nation, but in this day, or especially in the day that they were coming, where the, where the Egyptians had been destroyed, they were the great nation. They were the, they were the empire of that day and God destroyed them. So, we, we don't, like you say, we don't think too much about it, but this was a big deal. that the, Their God had destroyed the number one empire and people were terrified of, of that. Verse 10, And you show signs and wonders unto Pharaoh and on his servants and on his people of his land, for you knew that they would... Oh, oh, sorry, we read that. Verse eleven. And you did divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors that you threw into the deep as a stone into a mighty water. So it says, and this is an amazing thing when you think about it. I don't you know, when you think about getting to the bottom of a of a river or a lake, and, and you kind of dive down, what you find is mud, usually several inches of mud. And yet it says God divided the water, and not only did He divide the water, He dried the land out for them, so they could cross without sinking into this mud. And so we don't always think about God's mighty miracles because we go, okay, so He split the ocean, the 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 sea. Okay, now that's a good deal, great, you know. But He also, and it keeps every time it mentions it, it says it was on dry land. And that's a second miracle because that takes a little bit of time to dry out that much mud. And it says the Egypt, you you cast, you threw them into the deeps. They pursued and they were they were covered with water, and lots of water with all their armor. So the 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 Egyptian army was slaughtered. Sunk. Some yes. <laughs> slaughtered song. <In> but <laughs> Yeah, they they they're down at the bottom of the bottom of the water, floating you know, floating around. If they if after a while, all their heavy armor sunk them. Yep. It says verse. moreover you led them by day by a cloudy pillar and by night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the way that they should go, and and they's going. God, you led them, yeah, and that's what it says all through there. God led them. They didn't know where they were going. They were just following God. And that's a a picture of how we're supposed to live our life, you know, to follow him and to just let him lead and follow him. They had a very visible leading, leading. You came down also upon Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And this is a, a phrase that we see oftentimes, in, especially in the Psalms. Commandments, uh, judgments, decisions, and right and right, right standing. Laws, instructions, ordinances. And statutes are literally or, ordinance, ordinances. We still use that term today in our law, statutes. And commandments, You know, he, which God gave them, which is the declaration and commandments that he gave them. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. And this is, he made known to them, this, and we talked about this, the Sabbath day is for the Jews. It's a sign for the Jews that they're different. And God has used that with them for their entire existence. And it says, your holy Sabbath, your separated day, that was separated unto God. And the Jews have followed, for the most part, they have followed Sabbath very consistently. They, in the Middle Ages, they were considered lazy people because they, they only worked six days a week and took, as they said, a vacation day every week, every seven days, they, that they were a lazy people, that they had to take a vacation every seven, <laughs> every, every seven days. And, but it was God who separated. He said, you are going to be different. And God is really looking for his people to be different. We follow his ways. We follow his rules. We follow his laws, and people look at us and they will say, the, "You guys are strange." And even as Christians, we are strange to the world because we don't participate, or shouldn't participate, in things that they accept at face value. Uh, little things like not working hard. You know, it's, if you, everybody who's been in the workplace has. Seen these people, and the world has this idea of take as take and work as little as possible. And I've seen it more than once where people work harder to, to look like they're not working than they would have if they had worked. Okay. And yep. Flying criminals and convicts well, that do that. <laughs> well, not just that. I'm talking about people in the workforce. They sometimes work harder to look busy than they would have if they just had been busy. And they're getting fired. And, and they're losing all their house. So they get punished for that. Sometimes essentially and the truth comes out? The Sometimes comes it does. Out. Sometimes it does, not always. What would you do with your Porsche? But here, we live by different rules. Paul told Christians, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In other words, tell the truth. And you don't have to swear, you don't have to, you know, people that look at you are going to know that you're telling the truth. The world, quite often, doesn't tell the truth. You know, if it makes me look bad, I'm not going to tell you the truth. And I've seen that over and over by people, you know. If I'm going to look bad in this, I'm not going to tell the truth. And yet we look at God, and God shows the truth about His people. The good and the bad on His people are shown up and saying, we're going to, He's going to use us even when we fail. And that's good for us to look at, because we look at it and say, God is faithful. To tell the truth, even if we fail by telling the truth, he's gonna he's gonna let it be known, and it's it's to show his grace. The lie always comes out. Well, that's true. The, the truth will always come out. The lie will always be revealed, eventually and people see it, and I've told people, I go, you watch people who climb the ladder real quick by stabbing people in the back and lying and tearing people down, they come down the ladder just as fast, oh, yeah, and they right. don't even stay on the ladder, they, they're out of the company eventually. Like a, the saying, they go up the dead bodies of others to get to the top, and then they fall down, and you yeah. gotta be careful who you stepped on getting up there. Yeah, because it's, it's an important thing, you know. And remember that you stepped on them going up the ladder. But they won't help you. They won't help you more than anything else, so. When you get to the top, if that's the way you got to the top, you have no help. You're isolated up there because people remember how you got there. So it is important that we do all these things. But all of of this is because it is God's way of doing things. Even if we don't get an earthly reward, we are to do it right because it is God's way of doing things. And He will give us the reward in heaven for allowing Him to work through us to do the right things. And it almost always have seen it happen over and over that even on this earth, we get the, the blessing for being obedient. And if not, we're going to get it in heaven. And that's what been said, you know, don't look at the short-term benefits that the, that the world is giving people because they will fall usually on this world. But if nothing else, they will they've had their reward on earth and they will lose all reward in heaven. And our obedience... Most of the time we will in the long run be rewarded for on this earth, but we will definitely be rewarded in heaven for it. So obedience is good just because of following God. And then we stand out. And people, and the, and people will see that we stood out. Verse 9, And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, that was the manna, and you brought forth water for them out of the rock, for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which you had sworn to them. So here's God's provision in the hard times, God provides. And this is true even for us. When we go through hard times, dry places, the long experiences, God is going to feed us. God is going to give us us the drinks that we need, the, the refreshing drinks, and He will give us what is promised to us in the long run. And this is where we keep our eyes on the prize, as it's said, in the world. Now, if you want to win, you have to keep your mind on where you're headed, not where you've been, not the problems that you're facing, not the struggles, but push through all of that to go to where the end result is. And for us, it's to focus on God is my provider. He is my provider. He is the one that's going to keep me. And in the long goal is I'm headed for heaven. I'm headed for heaven and whatever God does is to strengthen me for getting ready to go there and bring others with me. And this is, he will always provide. He'll provide us the food we need. He provides us the drinks we need. He gives us the the strength to give us what it is he's promised. And we've got to keep this in mind. There's a lot of people that that you hear about, they trust God for heaven, but yet they won't trust God for this world. And that doesn't make any sense to me at all. If my God isn't strong enough to keep me in this world, He's definitely not strong enough to take me to heaven. So the key is I've got to trust Him here and now. Otherwise, I'm saying to people, I really don't trust Him at all. And I don't know how people could say, well, I'm going to trust Him for heaven, but I'm going to do everything I can down here. And that's not a good place to be. And I've heard people say that. I've seen people live that way. Verse sixteen. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to your commandments and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of your wonders, and they did that you did amongst them. But hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But you are a God ready to pardon and gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of kind great kindness and forsook them not. And this was when they were standing outside of the Promised Land, and they went in, the spies came out, Joshua and Caleb gave this great report, we're ready to go in, and 10 people said, no, we're not, and the people rebelled and said, we're just going to pick somebody else to lead us, and we're going back to Egypt. So easy for us as Christians, when we're standing outside the Promised Land, living in victory spiritually, to say, well, well, no, it's too difficult to live spiritually. I'm going to go back into bondage, back into Egypt. And Egypt represents the world. And many, many people have gone back into the world because when they see the victory that God's promised, they go, no, that's too difficult. I'm not going to step into that victory. Because living in victory means that there's trials. You have to, to be victorious. You have to have something to be victorious over and God says, here it is, I'm laying it out, I've got a plan for you. You can be, you can live in victory, you can live in, in the spiritual, spiritual life, but it's going to be difficult. It's very difficult when you're different from everybody else and and everybody's looking at you and making fun of you, teasing you, maybe even trying to kill you if, you know, as as time goes on. But that idea of living in victory and so often we turn our back on it and say, God is too difficult, I'm not, I don't have enough faith in you to, be, to help me be victorious. And every trial we go through is designed to make us stronger, spiritually. It's to help us go forward, it's to help us grow, it's to help us get better. And God is saying, don't turn around. But yet, as they said, when they, when they did turn around, He says, but, in verse 17, but, you are a God ready to pardon. God is always ready to forgive. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, great kindness, and he did not forsake them and he won't forsake us. Even when we turn our backs on him, he does not forsake us. He will stand ready to bring us back, he stands ready to pardon. All, we have, all he's doing is waiting for us to turn back to him. And then he's like the prodigal son's father, just wrapping his arms around us and saying, welcome back and come on, come on back. And this is what makes our God so different from every God out there. Most of the gods out there are not ones that pardon, they aren't gracious, they aren't forgiven. And if you get into the way that people have to please them, they have to please them by doing lots of good works to make up for everything bad they did. And God is saying, turn to me, confess your sins, go forward. Yea, when they had made a a molten calf and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and had wrought great provocation. So we're sitting here with going over their history, you know, Moses up on the mountain people are rejecting and they they made a golden calf and there's two golden calves and this one I think because they're running on a timeline is not the golden calf that Aaron built but the golden calf that the Northern Kingdom built to keep people from going to Egypt. They, they uh, Jeroboam... Jeroboam? Yeah, I didn't believe Jeroboam. It's Rehoboam and Jeroboam and I always mix them up. I think it was Jeroboam in, the, in Israel decided because if he didn't make a God and a worship system for them that they would go to Jerusalem and he'd lose his people. So he introduced calf worship up there and and said that, you know, this is your God. And, uh, well, this actually because it says brought you out of Egypt, sorry, I'm wrong. It's, it, it is the one for that Aaron built. And it says it caused great provocation, contempt. The people had contempt. Yet in your manifold mercies forsook you not in the wilderness, the pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them by the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them the light and, and the way therein they should go. So again, it's showing God's graciousness, his love, his honor, his his care for them. He says, even though you're trying to leave me, I'm not leaving you. And this is such a promise for us. God does not leave us. He will continue even when we are not good examples of who he is, he will still be with us he will still care for us he will still provide and this is what they're going through God has always been there is what they're telling the people verse 20 you gave also your good spirit to instruct them and withheld not your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their f- for thirst yea forty years did you sustain them in the wilderness that they lacked nothing their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not so again he's going you you instructed them, you gave your spirit to instruct them, you taught them, you, you showed them their ways. You didn't, when they were disobedient, take away manna. You didn't take away their water. You, you sustained them and it says, this is very interesting in verse 21, they lacked nothing. Now they oftentimes thought they lacked a lot of things but they had all their needs provided for and it says your clothes waxed not old. In other words, their clothes did not wear out over 40 years. And this is an amazing, amazing thought. Anybody who's had clothes for a long time knows how they wear out and they start, you know, getting threadbare and faded and all these things. And yet it says, they didn't get old. And then it says, your feet didn't swell. You know, walking around all that time, being on your feet, and they didn't swell and didn't mess up their sandals. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and did divide them into corners so they possessed the land of Zion, in the land of the king of Her- Heshbon, in the land of Og, king of Bashan, their children also multiplied you as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land concerning which they, you had promised their fathers that they should go and possess. So it starts giving them the lands they got outside of his, the promised land, then it says you also gave them the lands of the promised land. And you gave it to their children and and loved it where it says you made them like the stars because that was exactly what Abraham was told. Your children will number as the stars in the sand of the the, the sand. And verse 24, So the children went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them of their hand and with their king and the people of the land that you might do to them as they as they would and they took the strong cities and in the fat land and possessed houses full of goods and wells dug vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance so they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your goodness so this is talking about when they finally entered the promised land there was great blessings they they were victorious in battle they got all this land and I love it, they took the cities, they, they had the fat of the land, they possessed houses, so they were spoiling the land, you know, they took it and they said, okay, here's houses, you just conquered the whole house, everything in it is yours. And they had fruit trees and olive trees and wells, they didn't have to dig all the wells, they didn't have to wait for the, you know, for the orchards to grow before they could have the, the produce from them. And God said, I gave you all of that and you delighted yourselves in the great goodness. And they're going through this history and saying, you know, hey, we had a really good time. God gave us what He said He was going to, and we basically got content. Then there's the word in verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their backs, and slew the prophets which testified against them, and turned them to to you, and, and they wrought great provocation. This is the pattern... Almost all of us go through it. And Israel's a great example of it. They got rich, they got powerful. They, they went to Egypt under Joseph. They were very powerful and God, and then they weren't known. They weren't in, put into slavery. They got to the promised land. You know, after all the trials to get to the promised land, they got blessed God, treated God good, and slowly forgot him. And this is a cycle that go, keeps going. And then God judges and they come back to God. And we see this all through judges, especially. They kept doing what was right. You know, they were doing good with God. Then they started drifting away. Then they started doing what was good in their own eyes. God would send judgment. And this happens even to this day where people get basically familiar with God. God, your blessings are so great and they forget that the blessings are blessings. And this is what I tell people over and over. Never forget that the blessings from God are blessings. That we get familiar with it and we go, well, this is our normal way of living. No, it's a blessing from God. And the moment we forget that it's a blessing from God, something's gonna happen to take that blessing away and make us suffer for a while and to, to help us understand. And then we turn back to God and we repent and we confess our sins and he'll give us some blessings back. But this is a cycle that goes on and on. It goes by individuals, it goes by nations, it goes by empires. Everything has this cycle. They're following God and, and they we're seeing in the United States, we're at a point where either we repent as a nation and stay as a nation or we get judged by God and I think we're going to be judged by God because the nation is just not ready to see God and we see this over and over in, the, in people's lives and we see it in Christians. We walk in all, walking, God's blessing us, blessing us, blessing us and then all of a sudden we start taking it for granted. We start getting away from God we start skipping church because of you know we got to play with our toys that he's blessed us with we've we we forget that it's blessing we kinda forget that God's in charge and then he says well let me show you that I'm still in charge this is what they're saying you know you got into the land and all of a sudden you went and rebelled and you did it to great provocation you know you really you were contemptuous of God so verse 27 therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in time of their trouble, when they cried unto you, you heard them from heaven. And according to your manifold mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. And this is definitely talking about the times of the judges primarily. Do, do good, do good, and then fall, fall down and get, get troubled and get vexed. Vexed is a really h- strong word. Nope. Cause distress or provocation. press hard to... Provocation? provocation means contempt, basically. But vexed, you know, they, they cause... God gave them somebody who vexed them. To, to press down on them, to give them distress. And it was done because they had provoked God. They had provo- provoked God. Provocation. And... Then it says when they when they cried into you you heard them from heaven and because of your manifold mercy You gave them saviors who saved them out of the hand and God always does this for us His children will be disciplined if we forget who he is and who the benefits come from He will put us in a strait. And then when we finally come to our senses and say God, please help He helps and we see this over and over again And it is really hard for humans for some reason to stay focused on God's goodness, okay? We, we want to do the wrong things. And we, it seems to be the common factor. We, we keep wanting to do wrong things. And it says, verse 28, But, <laughs> again that word, After they had rest, they did evil again before you. So it goes, okay, God, you delivered them, you you showed them, you gave them back, and then they did bad, you know, they did evil again. And again, this isn't just Israel who does this. This is us as a people. We tend to do this a lot. God, I need your help. God blesses us. Okay, God, I got it from this place, and we fall back down. God, I need your help. He blesses us. God, I've got it. And, you know, this is no problem, and we fall down. They did it as a nation as well. They did evil again before them. Therefore, left you them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them yet when they returned and cried unto you you heard them from heaven and many times did you deliver them according to your mercies many times when we see the story the whole book of judges is a story up and down up and down we see israel and judah going through hard times where they reject god and they are finally sent into captivity be with the babylonian and the assyrian uh, captivity And the Medo-Persian after that. So we see that God says, you're going to keep doing this. And 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 they did this. They just kept going up and down, but so do we. We can't judge Israel for what they did because we in our flesh do the same thing. God, you're doing really good. Okay, God, you've blessed me. I don't need your help anymore. And this is what I keep talking over about. God is to be our Lord and Savior. Jesus is to be our Lord and Savior all the time, not just when we need him. And a lot of times when, when, when we get to where we feel comfortable and everything, we go, okay, God, I, I'll take the throne of my life again. You go, you go sit in some other part of my heart you know, while I, while I take and ruin my life. We don't usually say it that way, but that's what we're getting ready to do when we take the throne. We're getting ready to ruin our life wow. and make life difficult again for us. And God takes the blessings away from us and tries to show us that He's the one that gave us all the blessings. Verse 29, and testified against them that you might bring them again into your law. Yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto your commandments, but sinned against your, your judgments. Which, if any man do, he shall live in them. And withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. So again, they're going, how do you get victory? You pay attention to his judgments. You pay attention to his law. You pay attention to his words. And because it says, which if a man do, he shall live in them. When we're obedient, when we're, when we're in his word, when we're living according to his word, we're listening to the spirit, we truly have life. When we don't, we have physical life, but that's all we have. When we usually end up to, in misery at some point in that, in that. And it's hard for Christians and followers of God to look around them and see all these people who seem to have their life put together. And I really emphasize the seem to have their life put together. One of the pastors I was ta- listening to on the radio the other day was saying how his rock bottom was when he realized that he wasn't happy even though he had the three cars and the nice house and a, and a family. And all of a sudden he looked around and he says, I'm just not happy. Even though I seem to have everything I wanted, I'm not happy. And that was his rock bottom. He turned to God. Some people have to literally, literally hit what we would think is rock bottom. They lose everything and end up in the gutter. And that's their rock bottom. Each person is gonna have a place where they realize I'm not happy, I'm not I need God. And we as Christians will go back and forth and with God and you know we, we follow that long windy path and God is saying, please just follow the straight path, just stay focused. But we are human and we like to like to sin and we like to do things our way and God will have to give us tests, trials, punishments. Verse 30, Yet for many years did you forbear them, and testify against them in your spirit, in your prophets, yet would they not give ear, therefore gave you them into the hand of the people of the lands. And this is where he says, Yet for many years did you forbear. And we look back at the previous one where they were talking about how they had not practiced the festival of tabernacles since the day of Joshua. That was about 950 years that they did not follow that festival. And here they're saying, for many years, they are going back to that idea of 950 plus years, we have not done what we're supposed to do. We've, we've fought with God and God you have, you have been forbearing to us. And that, that's one of my favorite words, giving up the right to demand judgment. God, you, you, you forbear us. You didn't, you didn't judge us like you had the right to do. And this is a word that I love for us Christians. We are to forbear with one another. Somebody has done something they deserve to be punished. They, they, they really do. They're, you know, they're guilty. They could be charged and they're guilty. And God says, forgive them. Don't demand the payment for what they've done. And that is one of the things that makes us different from the world. Is that idea that we can forgive, we can say, I am not going to make them suffer for what they've done. Because they're just human, they're following the following. And then it says, you testified in your spirit by the prophets, which is most of the books of the Bible, you know, Old Testament from, you know, the, the second half of the Old Testament, which is all the prophets speaking to the people, you're sinning, get right, you're sinning, get right. Many times talking to the kings, kings, you are, you're taking the people down the wrong way and they would not listen. They did not listen to the prophets for the most part. Verse 31, nevertheless, another one of those great words, something's changing. For your great mercy you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Even when God put them into captivity, He did not destroy them. He helped them stay a nation. God does the same thing for us. When we fail, He does not destroy us because He loves us and cares for us. He does not consume us. There's always a remnant out there. There's always that, that way of going through and coming back. If we totally reject Him, He'll take us home, but He wants to be able to show us His graciousness. He does not forsake. He's always with us. And this is something we have to understand. Even when I totally mess up. I mean totally mess up. and I make a big mess of everything. God is there to pick up the pieces. And being the good God that he is and the great God that he is, he can take those pieces and make new stuff out of it. And he says he restores the years the canker worms destroyed and the locusts destroyed. We may think that we are total failures when we come to God, but yet God can restore our life. He can make something precious of it. And we sing a number of songs that talk about how we all we have to offer Him is brokenness. You know, we have broken stuff, God. Here's all my broken stuff. And what does He do? He gives us back fresh, brand new stuff to build our life back. He gives us a chance to go back out and and share Him with others, to, to lead others to Him because He just loves us that much and cares for us that much that He says, I'm going to take... I'm going to take all this brokenness that Jesus paid for, and I'm going to give you new stuff. Then sometimes we break the new stuff, and he has to do it all over again <laughs> when we confess and repent. Verse 32, Now therefore our God, the great and mighty, the terrible God who keeps covenant and mercy, this is God, God will always keep what he says he's going to do, let not all the troubles seem little before you that have come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on our, our people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Okay, so he's saying, God, you know what's been happening to us. You know what's happened to us for the seventy years that we were that Judah was in captivity and longer than that for Israel, and the time that they've been building this temple and, and living in this land, he goes, God, you know, you are faithful. You're still kept us. You brought us back. Most of the Jews, when they were taken into captivity, never, ever expected to go back if they had not been paying attention to Jeremiah, who said, you're going to only be gone for 70 years, Judah. They didn't expect to ever go back, many of them. Those who knew the scripture and and obeyed God did know they were going back, but they weren't the the majority. Verse 33, How be it you are just in all that is brought upon us, for you have done right, but... We have done wickedly. God is warranted for any evil he sends on us. It is He is just when we do wrong. We And this is something we have to always be careful. I've, I've heard many people say, God, I just want what I deserve. No, you don't want what you deserve because if you got what you deserve, you'd be dead and in hell. And we want to be careful. God, no matter what he allows to come our way, he is just. He is righteous because we deserve much more than anything he lets come our way. When we go through hard times, it's not for us to turn around or shake our fist to God and say, God, who do you think you are letting this go on? It's you the prayer had better be, God, thank you, you didn't give me all of what I deserve. You know, help me help give me the strength to go through this, and he will give us the strength to go through what we're going, what he's sent our way. Verse 34, neither have our kings, our princes, our priest nor our fathers kept your law nor hearkened unto your commandments and your testimonies wherein you did testify wherewith you did testify against them for they have not served you in their kingdom and in your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and fat land which you gave them neither turned they from their wicked works so he's saying in the past God they wouldn't turn you you graciously gave them but they wouldn't keep your law they wouldn't obey you they, wouldn't, they wouldn't, wouldn't go there. They, and they have not served you in their kingdom. And then in verse 36, Behold, we are servants this day. And for the land that you gave unto your, our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. So they're saying, we're here, but we're not. It doesn't belong to us. This land that they're in does not belong to them anymore because Assyria owns it. The Medo-Persians, excuse me, own it right now and, and Cyrus said go back. But he did not say the land is yours. He says go back and inhabit your cities. But the land still belongs to Cyrus and the Medo-Persian Empire. It's not their land and this is what these the priests are praying about this. It's not our land. We're servants in our own land. God, it's your land, you gave it to us, but we're just the servants. And it yields much increase unto the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. God, you've given us, we've got our land, but it's not ours. And that's what they're saying. We're not even ours. And this is their understanding. They're, they're the possession of a foreign king, and an alien king. And yet God is starting to give them blessings. But it's not theirs. It's going to be, help somebody else. Verse 30, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and the priests seal unto it. So they're promising to be obedient. This is a strong, and this is a revival. This is a great revival that we're seeing in Israel. We're seeing a people coming before God and just listening to the Word of God, coming, coming in and listening for, for, you know, the first time was all morning, which meant at least three or four hours that they just listened to the Word of God. The next day, their leaders came in and said, tell us more. Then we have this story about in here where the people are coming and they're listening for six hours hours, three hours just listening to the Word, three hours in prayer and worship. And this is what happens when people have a revival. There's a hunger for God, there's a thirst for God, and they want more, and they want more. And they'll even drag it out of the leaders, just like these people did. Come, tell us, tell us more. Teach us. Let us understand. And great teachers love it when they have people like this that say, I want more. I want more. And we have places in this world that are still this way that just a three four hour time of being taught is nothing to them because they just are so hungry. And here in America where we have the Word of God available to us all the time people will say 20 minute sermon was too long, a 30 minute sermon was way too long. Teach an hour and it's like wow how can you teach an hour? You know and There was a famous pastor who said there's going to come a day that people will not be willing to worship God, listen to a two-hour sermon. And and it is true in this day and age in America, people don't want to hear a two-hour message from God. Good message from God because they're not spiritually hungry. They're familiar with God's blessings and and not looking at it. Chapter 10, verse 1, we're just going to read this list of names and then we'll stop. Now these... Now, those that sealed were Nehemiah the Tersharath, which means governor, the son of Haaliah and Zedkiah, Shiraiah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Mikeya, Yatush. I'm going to tell you, these names get interesting sometimes. Sebbaniah, Maluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Gennethon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, uh, Mishamin, Maazaiah, Bilkiah, Shemariah. These were the priests. So this was the priests that they just listed. And the Levites, both, both Yeshua, the son of Azaniah, Vinuni, the sons, sons of Henanad, Kadamiel, and their brethren, Shepaniah, Hodijah, Kel Ita, Bel aiah Henan, Mikah, Rohab, Hashem Zukur, Zakur, Shathabia, Shepanah, Odijah, Vinai, Venu, the chief of the people, is when I were in the leaders, Parush, Paha Moab, Elam, Zatu, Vinai, Buni, Azgag, Beba'ai, Adonijah, Bigva'ai, Adin, Atur, Hizkaya, Azur, Hadja Hashem, Betziah, Haf, Hafrith, Anaroth, Nabai, Magpi'ash, Mishulam, Hizai, Miseshez-Abel, Zadok, Yedugah, uh, Pelletiah, Henan, Anatiah Hosea, Hananiah, Hashem, Hasab Halo Hes Pila Hath Suk Rehim Hasebna Maasia and Ahazar eh, eh, Hanan Anan Maluk Harim and Baana. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, supporters, the singers, the Nephilim, and all they that had separated themselves from the people and the lands, unto the law of the God, their wives and their sons and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and, un- and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, the nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's way, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe, to do all the, the commandment of the Lord and his statutes." And that they would not give their daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters of their take their daughters for their sons. And if the people of the land bring wares and any vit- jewels on the Sabbath day to sell that they would not buy, and that they wouldn't of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and they would leave the seventh year and they, the the extraction of debt. So we're getting a lot of promises here of the people to be obedient. You know, we had this long list of, of priests, Levites, and leaders. And then it says the people bound themselves. What did they bind themselves to? No mixed marriages. The very thing that they were told not to do. Do not mix. Do not take their sons. Do not give your daughters to them because they will pollute their minds. They will they will deceive them. They will take them into their gods. They will, they will be there. And then they said they... They agreed to follow God's laws. The same thing that happened on Mount Sinai. We will do all that God says as he walked immediately into disobedience. Here they're doing the same thing. We're going to obey God. We're going to follow him. And then he goes on, and you're going to keep the Sabbath day and the holy days. You are not going to buy from the, these strangers coming into your land. They're going to try to sell on, on the Sabbath. You are not to buy anything from them. Not, not merchandise, not food, nothing on the Sabbath day. You're going to leave it and you're going to follow the, the years of jubilee and the years of forgiveness. When we get to the seventh year, you're going to forgive debts and you're going to follow a Sabbath. You're going to give the land its rest for, for the year. We also made ordinances for us and charged ourselves yearly with a third part of a, sh- of a shekel for the services of the house of God. So every year they were going to give money to the, to the temple. And for the showbread and for the continual meat offering and the continual burnt offerings of the, of the Sabbath and of the new moons and of the set feast. And of the holy things and for the sin offerings that be making atonement of Israel and for all the work of the house of the God. Here they've been spending time for weeks now listening to the Word of God being spoken. Now for us, that means the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They were hearing that over and over again. And they're realizing we are supposed to support our priests. The priests need our our gifts. We're going to give money. We're going to have the showbreads. We're going to bring our offerings. We are going to support all. We're going to bind ourselves under the laws that God has given us. And they're sitting here saying we are binding ourselves to this. Verse thirty-four, and the they, and we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people f- for the wood offering to bring it into the house of God and the houses of our fathers at the appointed times of the years to burn upon the altar and it as it is written in the law. So they had to provide the wood to be able to burn the sacrifices. And we probably we don't even have a clue how much wood that takes. I don't, I can't imagine how much wood it took to do these offerings and and stuff and to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of the tree of, of all the trees year by year into the house of the Lord. One of the offerings that people were to make was the first fruit. You took the very first fruit that you harvest and gave it to God. And this is something that they did and it's taking, okay God, I'm giving you the first part of this harvest and and I'm going to give it to you. I don't know if there's going to be a second harvest or a third harvest or but because you I'm giving to you, I expect you to give me the blessing. And God said, the first fruits are His. He wants the first. And this is why it's important when we give, that we give Him off the top. And a lot of people will say, well, I'll give God my tithe if there's anything left over. Well, that's your attitude. You won't have anything left over. It just is the way it will be. You either make God a priority and give Him His part first, or it won't happen. And this is, when I do mine, I get my paychecks. I figure out what my tithe and offering is. I write the check out, right then and there, you know, right there, okay, this is the money I made this week, here's his, here's his part, and it's already gone, it's like, the rest of it is, I'll pay anybody who I can after that, but God gets his part first, and this is important for us to be able to do that, because the blessing on it is not for us to give him the leftovers, it's for him to get the tithe verse 36 also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle it is it were written the first thing of the herds and the flock and to bring to the house of God and the priests and the ministers and that we would bring the first fruit of our dough and our offerings and of our fruit of all manner of trees of wine and of oil unto the priest and the chambers of the house of the God of the, and the ties of our ground unto the levites and the same levites might have the ties of all our cities of our tillage so again they're going we're going to honor you God the first cattle, the first firstborn of each female, female of the flock belonged to God. The the firstborn child belonged to God, but he had in that case you just paid for them because the Levites were the ones who actually became the servants of God. But you would have to pay a, a price for having for the firstborn. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall. Be with the Levites, and when the Levites take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tithes of the a tithe of the tithes into the house of God, into the chamber, into the treasury of the house. So, this is very clearly telling them okay, the Levites, and the, they, they're the ones that lived in the refuge cities and all around, they got tithes from the people locally. And then it said, the Levites will bring a tithe of what they get and take it to the church, uh, to the temp- temple and there's a lot of people I know that are pastors and leaders and they they don't tithe and it's wrong they need to tithe now if they don't feel comfortable tithing to their own church and feeling like they're paying their own salary give the tithe someplace else but they need to tithe and the scripture is very clear even the spiritual leaders are to tithe And, and I find it funny sometimes when I give a tithe here and go especially when it's a big big check. It's like, okay, here's my, here's my check for, you know, here I'm giving you a check and I'm going to get it back in the next three, you know, over the next couple of weeks. But it is the way it is. Yeah, I give my tithes as well. And because the Levites were to give tithes. And the children of Israel and the children of the Levites shall bring the offering of corn and the new wine and oil into the chambers, where are the vessels in the sanctuary and the, and the, and the priest that minister and the porter and the singers. And we will not forsake the house of our God. They were not going to forget the, the tabernacle. They're going to go, we are going to support it. We're going to make sure that they, all the workers there are well, well provided for. And these tithes were how they provided for them. Just as in the church, most of the tithe goes to pay for workers to serve God. And all the other stuff we have to do to keep it building. <laughs> all right, we're going to end in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and and just how much we need to be faithful to you. You're faithful when we're not faithful, and then you expect us to turn around and be faithful as well. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.